0: My name is Maggie Coomer and I'm Jasmine Brand and this is the podcast where we are attempting to tame nostalgia one true story at a time. I'd like to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Uh, First, um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in history in 2012. I sort of putzed around in different industries for the next several years and finally landed a job in my field of study last year working at a historic site uh, which is where i met the lovely jasmine brand
1: and i graduated with my bachelor's in 2017 in history with a little bit of politics and had a few other educational pursuits while living in england i moved to nashville in 2018 and started working in my field where i predominantly look at african-american history around the time of the american civil war in fact, I'm writing a book for Vanderbilt Press that should be released sometime next year, and I will update you all with those details when they come. So let's talk a little bit about why we're why we're doing this. Nostalgia
0: uh, is a is a crazy beast, and it's typically defined as a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. Uh, So Jasmine and I are both history obsessed. We are attempting to make a career out of this. And so the purpose of this podcast is really to help our listeners develop a more complete picture of the past. And, you know, this can certainly get a little a little rough, you know, when you when you challenge your preconceived notions of a particular period in history or particular uh, historical figures that can be challenging. Uh, however, we're here to have fun. We're here to maybe help you learn something. Help, maybe we'll learn something, and uh, you know, just to to talk about our passion, which is uh, which is history. So, welcome everyone. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. So today we are discussing the case of Blanche Monnier, A.K.A. the Confined Woman of Portier. To set the scene for you, in 1901. The Attorney General of the Portier Police Department received an anonymous note, and that note read as follows. Monsieur Attorney General, I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who is locked up in Madame Monnier's house, half starved, and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years, in a word, in her own filth.
1: Following this tip, on a May afternoon in 1901, police in Poitiers, France made a grisly discovery at the residence of Madame Louise Monnier. In the upstairs room of the old aristocrat's house, her 52-year-old daughter Blanche lay naked in filth, weighing only 55 pounds. She hadn't seen the outside of their home in 25 years and up until her disappearance she was reportedly a vibrant socialite seen at all the best parties around so what happened to her
0: so this is a doozy this is a doozy of a case and uh just for a warning for our listeners we're going to be giving some pretty graphic descriptions of blanche's physical condition as well as the conditions that she was living in. So uh, just a heads up, if anyone's a little squeamish or uh, maybe you have a a, kind of a weak stomach, you might not want to (laughs) eat as we go through the the rest of this case. Now, before we move forward, uh, we would like to call out our main source for this episode, It was a pamphlet that was published in 1930 by a French writer named André Guide. It's essentially a a compilation of primary source documents, the police reports from Blanche's case, the court proceedings, interviews with Marcel Monnier and Madame Monnier. It's a really impressive uh, collection of these documents. So we relied heavily on this source. We also relied on newspapers of the day specifically American newspapers that were reporting on the crime. And as you'll see, this becomes quite a sensationalized case. For additional source notes utilized for this episode, please check out our our notes linked in the episode notes below. So when Blanche is discovered in 1901, France is in the throes of an era known as the Belle Époque. The Belle Époque, which translates to the beautiful age or the beautiful era, is typically referring to the years right after the end of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871 leading up to the eruption of World War 1 in 1914. It's easy to see why this period is often looked on so fondly, so lots of nostalgia, when you think of the destruct- destruction that took place during World War 1, particularly in France. The Belle epoch is typically viewed as a period of immense cultural change. It was a time for art. I want you to think of Henri toulouse lautrec spending copious amounts of time at the Moulin Rouge, creating lasting images of can-can dancers in the nightlife of Paris. I want you to think of Monet. He's painting his water lilies at the turn of the century. You have cultural shifts like the Bohemian Revolution that's drawing artists from all over the Western Hemisphere to Paris to experience alternative lifestyles. And you have relative peace and economic prosperity in France, at least for the bourgeoisie aristocrats. Drinks like champagne and absinthe are flowing freely. Major advances in technology and medicine are taking place all over the world. It was also a time of mass colonization, imperialism, the race for Africa, or the scramble for Africa, which would essentially result in the colonization of 90% of the African continent by 1914. You also have a mass migration of a peasant class from the countryside of France into cities to work in industrial factories, thus resulting in workers' rights movements. You have women's suffrage movements that are gaining momentum. But fun fact. French women didn't actually gain suffrage until 1944. In short, all of this change began to blur the lines of status and class, which for the aristocracy, specifically in France, who had acted as a ruling class for so long, well, this is quite distressing. And the Monnier family were a part of this dying breed.
1: Poitiers is an old French city that dates back to the time of the Romans. It's about 350 kilometers southwest of Paris and was the site of the Battle of Tours in the 8th century and later the site of a battle during the Hundred Years' War. Blanche's parents, Madame Louise Monnier, born de Marconnet, apologies Madame Bello. if you're listening to this, my French from high school has gotten a little rusty, and her father's name was Monsieur Emile Monnier. Emile was the head of the local arts faculty in their hometown, but passed away in 1879, just four years after Blanche would be confined. Madame Monnier, however, was incredibly well-established, her family claiming to be from Poitiers for quite a long time. It is said that she was very involved in philanthropic pursuits in the city, even having supposedly won an award but was also said to be a bit of a recluse, rarely leaving the estates where she lived with her family, and it was said that she was scared of the general public, especially in the wake of unrest that she had seen within her lifetime, particularly the year before Blanche was born. In 1848, there was what was referred to as the Revolution of 1848, where different laws were changing. Now, Blanche was born March 1st of 1849. The couple had one other child as well as a son named Marcel. Marcel would marry, have a daughter, and work in local government for most of his life. Being from a prominent family, Blanche, however, was expected to find someone suitable to marry, a suitor of sorts, one that matched her class, her social standing, one that had enough to keep her in her current lifestyle or, well, even means to propel her into a greater lifestyle. However, at the age of 25, she was not feeling the societal or parental pressure as I'm sure was being put on her. Despite being objectively beautiful, she had still not married. There's probably a few factors that are going into this. Blanche's family was incredibly well off. She didn't need to get married to continue her lifestyle, although her mother was putting immense pressure on her. And she was a budding socialite. She went to all the parties. She was noticed everywhere she went, caught the eye of all sorts of young men. And that was probably thrilling for her. She probably enjoyed that and did not want to change that just yet. She was not ready to take that next step to become, you know, the woman of the house. Now, at one of these parties, it is said that she met a man there and this man was a lawyer, supposedly way below the means of Blanche's families and way below the social standing, and he was significantly older than her. Now, I have to throw in here that it is ironic that the family did not approve of this man, considering that Marcel, her brother, was also a lawyer. He referred to himself as a doctor of law, although he did not practice. And so Blanche could not see the problem here. She had fallen in love and was reported being very intimate with this man, who I have not been able to find the name of. He is shrouded in mystery.
0: There are many theories surrounding why Blanche's confinement began among those theories, where Blanche became intimate with this, with this lover, and uh, there was a, a, a quote-unquote illegitimate child that resulted from their relationship. There are very few things that an unmarried aristocratic woman could do worse than having a child out of wedlock. So one theory is is Madame Monnier and Marcel meet Blanche at the top of the stairs uh, when she comes home from a date with her lover one night, and they lock her in the attic in an attempt to confine her until the child could be born and Madame Monnier could quote-unquote do away with the child, whatever that means. Another theory is that Blanche, she was headstrong. She wanted to marry who she wanted to marry. And this is the man that she chose. Her mother, outraged at the thought of her daughter marrying below her social standing, confined her to the attic in an attempt to wear her down. However, Blanche proved to be much more stubborn than her family could have ever imagined. So let's fast forward back to 1901. When Madame Monnier and Marcel finally agreed to take the police superintendent to Blanche's room, the police are horrified by what they see, and they call in a judge named Dufresnel, who sends Blanche to the hospital immediately. In the attic, there were padlocks on the outside shutters of the room's one window. The window had been sealed with weather stripping to prevent any outside air from penetrating the dark, putrid environment of Blanche's cell. At the foot of Blanche's bed, there was a hole in the floor that was chewed by rats. The air is described as being so foul that the police had to halt the investigation until the room could be cleaned. Blanche was taken to the hospital immediately, and the investigation ensued once the room was sanitized enough that investigative officers could stand it. So the police made an inventory of the room, and Jasmine is going to share that with us now.
1: The report filed May 25th lists the following items that were confiscated from the Monnier house one quilt partially rotted a rotted pillow adhering to it as well as a diverse other bits of rags joined to each other by feces scraps of food of all kinds mixed with a great quantity of insects a great deal of other rags and blankets including one bed sheet folded into eights on which rested part of the victim's body various food debris one straw mattress partially rotted two shutters connected by a chain and held together by a padlock one trunk into which the police placed 37 volumes found on the shelves of her room one student's basket containing notebooks a great quantity of notes written in pencil the same trunk they placed a padlock with a length of chain attached two statuettes of the virgin mary One doll's head, one rosary, one coin, five pencil stubs, and they also took the entire door to the victim's room. They said it had been recently repaired, which I find just an interesting note that they made. They also took one jar containing insects that they said represented 5-10% to of those found on her bed, just on her bed and one piece of wallpaper containing the words, some of the children there are, some of them who are much preferred. Blanche's physical description is equally startling.
0: The condition of her body and hair is described as 55 pounds, unwashed, crawling with lice, bugs, and vermin. Around her body was a, quote, sort of crust made from excrement, scraps of meat vegetables and rotting bread when they got when Blanche got to the hospital they shaved her head and the the braid that they shaved off weighed just under four and a half pounds I have a quote of what her hair looked like her hair formed a dense mass more than a meter in length 30 centimeters wide and four to five centimeters thick It was a thick matting, made up of hair mixed with excremental matter and scraps of food. The odor given off by this mass was so ghastly that doctors authorized the people present to smoke cigarettes. Which I'm like, thanks. They were probably already doing that, considering it was 1901. Uh, But, you get the point. I think how the police describe the rest of the house is very telling in this case. It says a lot about Madame Monnier. Uh, This was a very wealthy family. The rest of the house was clean and fully furnished. There were several upstairs bedrooms with made and unused beds. Now, the police interview the maids in the home. And uh, what these women have to say, it's two women, uh, unnamed, of course, right, uh, and what these two women have to say is that they made attempt after attempt to either bathe Blanche, change the mattress that Blanche was on, clean the room, keep the door open. And they said they were met with, with severe resistance from Madame Monnier. Uh, there was one description of the the bedding. The only bedding they were allowed to change was one soiled cloth. That was changed every 24 hours at night uh, and it was the cloth underneath uh Blanche's bottom because she she went to the to the bathroom in her bed uh, so every 24 hours they would uh, they would remove this cloth this excrement catcher if you will uh, and that's the only thing that's being changed in this scenario in this
1: in this room for Blanche. Madame Monnier and Marcel are both arrested the day after police found Blanche in the attic. Madame Monnier would die about a week and a half later in custody in the infirmary in prison, while Marcel is released from prison but will stand trial.
0: The following is a little little taste of some of the questioning that occurred at that trial
1: starting in 1875 doctor observed that your sister blanche was unable to care for herself her room was filthy and your sister was dressed in dirty clothes she was tended to by a woman named fozzy who died in 1896 that's correct when your sister's condition worsened your mother had the doors locked After the death of the woman Fozzie, there came a long line of maids who would not agree to stay in such an environment. Your sister no longer left her room. She demanded her freedom. She made appeals up to the moment when police found her in May 1901. All that is true. The chief superintendent came. You presented obstacles to his getting into your sister's room.
0: No. But I wanted to get my mother's permission. No objection on my part.
1: Yet you said that your sister was suffering from pernicious fever. You mentioned your social standing and former titles. It was never my thought to prevent the chief superintendent from entering. The president orders the record of the police report read aloud. Aren't you impressed? I
0: am horrified, but I never saw anything except from outside. Knowing that Blanche was nude, I never looked at her. Out of a sense of decency, I only saw her hair.
1: So this situation is completely new to you? I didn't imagine it. I was far from thinking it. Your sister, taken to the hospital, showed pleasure at being washed and breathing clean air. She exclaimed how lovely it is. All the time she stayed in her mother's house, Blanche had
0: a great aversion to light. She couldn't stand it. It was according to her instincts.
1: You only had to show a sign of will. My mother was mistress of her household. At the hospital, it was observed that your sister was very modest, very well-behaved. Why then, in that case, these measures of protection? These
0: measures date very far back. It was my late father who started them.
1: I saw in the file that nothing was done against her will. Yes, to avoid terrible scenes.
0: So let's let's discuss this a little bit cuz it this his argument I mean comparatively because there's other Q&A from prior to this in which Marcel basically says she there's never I I see her several times a day there's nothing wrong with her and yet he changes his story here and this is somewhat akin to the just following orders defense you know what I mean It wasn't me it was mom and dad I was just doing what mom and dad wanted uh, I also think it's very interesting that at the end of this questioning he throws in it was his late father who started it as if to give it some legitimacy because the man of the house started this and it was all to avoid terrible scenes quote-unquote terrible scenes
1: what do you think By blaming it on his parents, who have passed away, neither can defend themselves. So it's the perfect defense for Marcel. The police cannot posthumously implement punishment upon his mother and father.
0: Uh, Absolutely, I agree with you there. Uh, There is one more quote from that testimony that I want to read here. It was said by the lawyer in court. It emerged from the testimony of several witnesses that Your sister was often heard screaming and pleading, including clear mention of words such as police, court, freedom, and prison. On August 16, 1892, Monsieur Jacob, whoever that is, heard the following words. What have I done to be locked up? I don't deserve this horrible torture. God must not exist then to let his creatures suffer in this way and no one to come to my rescue. So, let me just say, first off, Monsieur Jacob, well, I don't like him very much because, I mean, come on, you're, you're hearing this specific statement. You can you can recount this statement that pure, I mean, obviously speaks to her confinement. And yet no one did anything. It took 25 years for people
1: to call the cops. And even then, it was just an anonymous note because no one wanted their name associated with it. No one did anything, no one said anything, even when people noticed her missing from her usual parties. Her mother would just give excuse after excuse after excuse, and no one bothered to follow up.
0: So let's talk a little bit about how the case breaks. So in Marcel's testimony, he mentions a woman named Fozzie, and we think this is actually referencing a housekeeper who worked for the family for about four decades. She's listed as Madame Reynard. She dies in 1896 and it said that she was the one who was caring for, for Blanche. As a result, the family begins bringing in new servants who did not have the same level of loyalty that comes with four decades of service in 19th century aristocratic France. Okay. It said, uh, that in 1901, the Manias had two maids. One of these maids had a boyfriend, perhaps an army lieutenant, and he would come around at night when everyone else was asleep. This lieutenant became aware of Blanche's confinement, and he wrote the anonymous letter that blew this case open. So it wasn't even someone who was connected to Blanche. It was essentially the boyfriend of the maid. Now, none of the sources can name this, this man, this lieutenant, and this is all basically conjecture. It might just be a bit of gossip. But one way or the other, someone finally wrote a note in 1901 that would lead to the end of Blanche's confinement for 25 years. So what happens? What happens to Marcel, right? So uh, Madame Monnier, she passed away. She died. She she essentially escaped uh, prosecution for this. But This case does not end how you might think. Uh, Marcel is ultimately acquitted. The court says in a statement as follows, It is impossible to believe that Monnier was ignorant of the deplorable condition in which his sister was left, and that the purely passive role to which he felt obliged to limit himself as well as the cold impassivity that allowed him to make no useful intervention, deserves the harshest reprimand. And that nevertheless, his conduct not falling under the power of the penal law, to which the judges may make no addition. There are grounds for the court to to declare his acquittal.
1: There were laws in protecting her mother and brother in confining her, so Blanche had no leg to stand on, legally or otherwise, and with reports of so-called indecent behavior, it was up to her family to decide how to handle it.
0: Well, it, it, this is how this is how people dealt with with difficult women. Hell, this is how people dealt with difficult family members, male and female, and they really stack the, decks, the deck against her. Right? They start off by saying, you know, she's she's gallivanting around town. She's sleeping with a man out of wedlock. There's a rumor that she, you know, she got pregnant out of wedlock. Then it's, oh, now she's insane. You know, oh, she was uh, her. She was going to create a scene. Of course, we need to walk her away. Uh, And I think that the resolution in this case, I mean, really speaks to that and speaks to that mindset back in 1901, how people were dealing with um, people who were suffering from mental illness. Uh, I think the quote uh, from the doctor, uh, LaGrange, it's a psychiatrist at Portier Hospital. That This is the man who evaluated Blanche. And this quote was, she is not in possession of her faculties. She says eccentric and discontinuous things. We have diagnosed feeble-mindedness. She is insane. There is no doubt about that. Now... Surprisingly, there are laws on the books in France starting in 1838. Uh, this prohibits the imprisonment of quote-unquote insane people in normal jails. And this is, this is pretty progressive for the time period because prior to that, you know, people who are suffering from mental illness are, are just being sent to prison. But this law is passed in 1838, which means that people suffering from mental illness are no longer to be criminalized. They're, they're to be seen as medical patients. However, this is in the case of people roaming the streets, right? For an aristocratic family, th- this is an embarrassment. This is not something you want shown to the public. And so it's not at all uncommon to throw that troublesome girl into the attic until she starts to behave or she's no longer a problem.
1: We know how Marcel and Madame Monnier ended up, but what about Blanche? Upon her mother's death, Marcel inherits everything, including the substantial fortune. He inherits, well, everything, but the specific attic apartment or attic room that Blanche was kept in. That was the only thing left to her. Blanche, when she's taken from the house, will spend some time in hospital, regaining weight and her sense of humanity, and while she'll recover physically, she never recovers mentally. Unfortunately, with no family to speak of, and that mysterious lover, who we never do find the name out of, only a potential reference as a count based on an obituary found with Blanche, suggests that he passed away many years before, in roughly 1885. With no one to care for her, she's forced into the same situation thousands of women were. She is placed into a sanatorium where she'll live out the remaining 12 years of her life, passing away the same year of her brother in 1913. The house that she had been confined in still stands today, although reportedly has been extensively remodeled. I would hope so. Absolutely.
0: So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the headlines around the world about this case in 1901. Jasmine, you compiled a, a list of some pretty juicy headlines. You want to read through some of those?
1: By midsummer, this story had reached the United States and become sensationalized tabloid headlines. Some of those headlines often accompanied images of the home or just images of French women in general and read, well, read like this. French woman imprisoned for 25 years, starved, neglected, and driven almost insane by her mother. Woman kept prisoner to part her from Lover. Blanche Monnier of France, confined for many years. Lover was a poor lawyer. A prisoner for 25 years. Strange story comes from Paris. The crime of a miserly mother, police rescue daughter, and mother die suddenly in prison. Heartless brother caught. The horrible crime of a French woman aided by her son, She imprisoned her daughter in a kennel for 25 years, died when caught. I would hope if this
0: case were to happen in this day and age that there would be some justice for Blanche, because there is no justice for Blanche in this case. None. There's nothing. In conclusion, what are the impacts of this crime? How are things different now? There were no laws preventing the Monnier's confinement of Blanche. In fact, it was custom for insane family members to be kept away from the public by their families. The court documents state that what Marcel did was deplorable, yet there was nothing on the books to keep him in prison. Insane asylums, which were on the rise in the early 1900s, early 20th century, were typically reserved for the poor and unwanted. And they were holding pins for the mentally ill until the unfortunate people passed away, unburdening society in the eyes of many. And that's unfortunate, but it also, I think, gives us a pretty uh, startling picture of what it would have been like to be a woman suffering from mental illness in the early 20th century. You know, I mean, I think that that takes a veil away from my eyes. You know,
1: we would like to leave you with the inscription on Blanche's wall. It read, "To create beauty, not out of love or liberty, but solitude forever." You must live and die in a dungeon.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to our first episode of the Good Old Days podcast. Our regular drop days will be Tuesdays. However, uh, we are going to have a special episode this Friday uh, in remembrance of Juneteenth. We are covering the Nat Turner Rebellion. Uh, So we are looking forward to that.
1: In the meantime, please follow us on all your socials at the good old days pod, all one word. And please reach out via email with any future episodes, suggestions, or questions at the good old days pod at gmail.com. A big thank you to Tint Amer for the song Knowlesville, which is used as our theme song for this podcast. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Thank you.